you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast with your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. What accent? Is that your Icelandic accent, Kirk? Yes. It sounds more like Adam Sandler than Icelandic. <laughs> it literally sounded exactly like Adam Sandler... The- the Southman, Stannis, starring. <laughs> starring Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. <laughs> Direct, <laughs> directed by the Safdie brothers. <laughs> uh, okay, so Kirk's here. He's got his sword. He's, he's calling it a Viking sword. I think it looks more like either Aladdin, maybe maybe like a knight, and maybe He-Man. I don't know. Am I, it, it's some, some sort of in-between there. Either way, this this sword has seen some battle. You'll notice the nicks. You'll notice yes. the cracks. I mean, many a, uh, a four-year-old uh, to eight-year-old has damaged this. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know. There may have been some deaths somewhere around here Could in this be. basement. Could be. It definitely helps with the, with the whole vibe we're trying to get going here. So I appreciate your attention to detail. As always, very much like our director, uh, Robert Eggers, mm-hmm. Um, for who directed the subject of this week's review, which is The Northman. Yes. Like I said, directed by Robert Eggers. Uh, he's the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse and some other films. Uh, those are probably the, the ones of highest acclaim. So this was, uh, this was his first big budget. I don't want to say blockbuster. It's not, it's not really a blockbuster, but this was like the big feature film type budget, big studio budget. Um, right. This was, you know, this was a big moment for that. Yeah, it's almost like a proof of concept. Like, not that he had to prove himself in this, but he was given more of an opportunity to really show what he's capable of. Yes. Uh, I mean, and it doesn't even matter the scale. I should also say, like, he doesn't need uh, $200 million, but when he has it, he'll use it. He can take $10 million and make something uh, of, of a giant following as he's done here. So... Quite incredible, quite incredible. Yeah, which like not to be on the heels of all of those really nice things that you said, not to be like womp, 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 <laughs> Debbie Downer, <laughs> but uh, this movie did terribly in the box office. It did. It really, it, it really and that sucks. Um, this is what sparked, I, I feel like this is the one that sparked some of the discussion that we were having last week about um, our audience is getting dumber. Like that theory, which both of us said we do not agree with. I think that's ridiculous. But like what can win at the box office these days that's not like event cinema? Um, you know, this is very much like traditional cinema, non-mainstream, non-event cinema, no- nothing that's like poppy, hip, you know, just like very straight up storytelling, straight up filmmaking, like gritty type of film. Like, like this, this is the kind of stuff that's not winning at the box office right now. The Northman was yet another example of that. And then the question becomes like, why, you know? Um, And maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. Maybe we won't. If, if not go back and listen to our what's popping episode from last week. And you can hear some of that discussion, but Tonight we're going to focus on the Northmen as a film. We're not going to we're not going to focus on it, how it did at the box office or anything like that anymore. We're going to talk about this as a piece of film, as a piece of cinema, as a piece of art. 
We're going to get into all the details, talk about the acting performances, talk about the story and things that we loved and hated and, and all of that stuff. So without further ado, Kirk has the honor of giving us a synopsis of this movie. As a reminder, for those of you who might be new, our reviews do include spoilers. So if you have not seen the film and are worried about spoilers, now would be a good time to exit and come back to us after you have watched it. So without further ado, Kirk, you have the floor. Our story begins in 895 AD, a kingdom betrayed by sibling rivalry, resulting in the death of Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk, goodness, aka Alex Skarsgård's dad, aka our protagonist, Amleth. Many patient years later, Amleth finds the opportunity to avenge his father's murder and throne taken from him by his own uncle, Fionir. Vengeance, however, comes at a high price. Thank wow. you. Wow, that was, that was epic, truly. You know, I have done many synopses, and I get so hyped when I find I write these, and I'm so excited, and then I mess up something so arbitrary, like <laughs> Ethan Hawke, America's Sweetheart. Right. Yeah, I mean, it happens. It happens to the best of us. There's no such thing as a perfect show, Kirk. So, I mean, here Take we two. are. Let's go again. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, uh, like we said, directed by Robert Eggers, boasts a really, really on paper intriguing cast, and we'll get into their performances. But Kirk said Alexander Skarsgård, also Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, Anya Taylor-Joy, um, Bjork, um, a, a couple yeah. of, a couple of uh, vets of the uh, Robert Eggers troop as well. So um, there's a lot of a lot of fun cast members in this film and, and lots to discuss. So without further babbling for me, we'll get into it and we'll talk about the Northman. Kirk, I want to start with, and the Oscar goes to, in your opinion, among those cast members that I just listed. Who was the best of the bunch, the cream of the crop? Mm, the Northman himself, Mr. Alex Skarsgård. This man has been on America's radar ever since True Blood, HBO's vampire thriller based off of the, um, I don't know if they were really big hits, the books themselves. Clearly, the the series was bigger for quite some time, but your boy's been in so many things. Um, I mean, Big Little Lies, um, true blood forever and he is just more and more getting himself involved in some pretty big film um, he also played tarzan uh, i say pretty big film and let's take a step back <laughs> he played tarzan uh, with a very similar filter <laughs> of that with him and margot robbie uh, being tarzan and jane this movie i've never seen him successfully take on a character so well. I feel like the last time it was it really was in the beginning days of true blood uh, as eric the the villain vampire who really turns into a good guy as i understand by the end of that series them him and northman though this role that he takes on i did not anticipate this to be um so have so many humanistic elements when you see the trailer and you see vikings you're like okay well there's gonna be really just a lot of of immoral things happening in this and really at the core of this it's all about morals it's all about trust it's all about honesty and loyalty and power and truth 
And he conveys all of those things so well. I was happily surprised at when he did go full Viking on us in a couple of moments where they're, you know, dancing by a campfire in this very um, just... I don't know, earthly, um, uh, very just grunt. Again, grunting is the best way I can say it. Grunting and singing the songs of his Viking people around a campfire dressed in, in animal uh, uh, cloaks. And then you have these moments where you see how soft his eyes can get when there is injustice for uh, a human being and, and enslavement by people who just were at the wrong place at the wrong time that kind of heart that he brings to this character was really, really uh, groundbreaking for him as an actor. And I just think, I don't know if this carries him all the way to the Academy Awards, but it definitely catapults him to the next level in his career. So bravo, Alexander Skarsgård. Wow. High praise for Alex Skarsgård. I love it. I, you know, I thought he was really good in the most recent uh, season of Succession. He played, yes. uh, you know, I, I can't remember the character's name, but, you know, like the tech, you know, <laughs> the hip tech, you know, entrepreneur guy who is who's bidding on the company. Yeah. Um, and he was just awesome throughout. I thought he was so good in that, like, guest role that he had. Um, so glad to see him getting more play. I think he did an interview recently where he kind of was like, you know, unfortunately I've been sort of typecast in these, like, hunky, attractive guy type roles, and it's really limited my ability to reach out and he was so he was really stoked for this opportunity and i think you know to your point they found the right guy for the job but also the the kid that played young alex Skarsgård, oscar novak looked exactly like him what in the yes. world i was like cuz you know those Skarsgårds, there's a bunch of them right there's stellan and and bill and alex and all i mean there's so many um uh-huh and those genes, they run deep, you know, they all, they all sort of look very similar. And so to find a kid that looks like he was just cut from the same cloth is pretty remarkable. And that kid did an awesome job too. I thought he was so good. Um, yes, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to give my, uh, Oscar goes to, and I'm giving mine to Anya Taylor joy, who is just like, wow. Uh, and for me, the difference between her and Alexander Skarsgård, I think it, in a way it could have been a bit of a coin flip. It just kind of depended on where you wanted to go and sort of how the movie revealed itself to you based on what things you, what, what parts of the story you were drawn to, what characters you were drawn to, et cetera. But what really blew me away here was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's range um, on full display. She has throughout her career taken on a bunch of different roles, varying characters. She's only been in the biz for a little while, but has done some, incredible things from the queen's gambit um to what was the edgar wright movies uh one night in soho right um the witch i mean she's been in all kinds of incredible films and tv shows so far even even a new mutant she was really good in that which was a it was a pretty mediocre movie but she had a great role um and in this she had it on full display and her character went through a wider range of emotions than i think any other character in this movie she plays Olga. <laughs> She's a crazy name. It's like Olga of the Birch Forest or something like that. And she is like sort of an, uh, not a witch, but she like speaks to the earth, you know, and she has like, she has superior cunning and is able to use her mind to kind of solve problems. Whereas 
Um, Alexander Skarsgård's character is very much a like violence is the answer to everything kind of guy. Um, and she just carves out a really, really cool character and one that is dynamic, but also contained, you know, you know what she's about, you know, um, it's consistent. You know how she's going to react to certain things. You know what she can do. And yet she surprises you at times as well. And it all builds up to this sort of final scene with her where she, you know, it's, it's discovered that she's having twins. Um, uh, Amleth, Amleth, uh, the Amleth, sorry, the Alexander Skarsgård character finds out about it. And he's like, I got to split. You got to protect the 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 future king, which I believe they're saying was like a, a female king. I guess in Vikings they didn't have queen like as a term, so it was like the female king. I don't know, uh, but he was like, "You got to protect the family line. I'm out of here." And she has like this really visceral, gut wrenching moment where she sees him leaving. She knows he's gonna die. She knows she's never gonna see him again, and she just you know she she's been so composed this whole time, and yet her kind of freaking out about this thing and, and really just being destroyed, it doesn't come as a surprise because you know how much she cared about him in the in the short time that we get to see them on the screen with each other. So she does fantastic, totally committed to the role. The details are all there, all there. Um, and it's just another incredible resume booster for Anya Taylor-Joy, who is just becoming one of the best that we have. So that was my pick. Yeah, she totally hulks out in that final boat scene of hers. Yes. And it's pretty marvelous to watch because she has just been this encourager of, you know, we we can take them this down. We're not going to die here, um, you know, or, you know, kill me, but I'm going to try to get out of here. Right. And then that moment where she just starts twisting her hands and just in making that kind of enchanting uh you know, plea to the wind and it's yes. so cool and mesmerizing. Absolutely. And her physical acting is always on point. It's insane. Like yeah. she, she always, her character, that's what I mean. Like the details are all there, not just in like, she, she obviously her eyes tell a lot of the story because she has like a really unique, like wide set, big eyes. Like she's able to tell so much of a story with her eyes. It's kind of like how athletes have like these natural attributes that, you know, think about like Michael help Michael Phelps with the double jointed hips and ankles and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Anya Taylor joy has that for acting with her huge, like wide set eyes that are just like looking into a whole nother world. She can tell so much of the story with that, but then her physical acting, she always develops so much of her character in the physicality. And it's, it's just really good work. I think she does an awesome job. So, Anya Taylor-Joy is my winner. Uh, I think you could have gone either way, but what was different about, like, Alexander Skarsgård is the constant, right? He's the protagonist. He's the one who's the, you know, the ever-beating drum of this movie. But every other character got their one big moment, and that's what I yep. love, too. I love that they had, they were necessary the whole time, but they also got their big showcase, and the scene on the boat was Anya Taylor-Joy's, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the others as we get into our next category, which is scene stealer kirk who was your scene stealer dude this was hard this was really really hard Agreed. i leaned kind of immediately to anya taylor joy but man i landed on nicole kidman man i forgot that she was in this movie altogether and then she shows up with her ridiculously long hair and yes. i'm like wait that's 
that's Nicole. Okay. And there was a period of, t- of time where Nicole Kidman was high on the plastic surgery train and any movie that she made during that time frame was terrible only because you couldn't see her express or emote anything. Mm. And it was so devastating because, you know, actors, you know, they do this to, to, to try to maintain their youth or their look or their style or whatever. And thankfully, uh, not recently, but for a while now, she's been off of that extreme regimen and she has, you got to see her again. Like that wasn't Nicole. This was Nicole because she's been in this business for so long because she truly is an incredible actor. I mean, to, to the nth degree masterclass start to finish every scene counts intention with every single word she says. And she, she phoned nothing in. Uh, when you when you get to this age as an actor we've talked about before, you can sometimes just play the same role. Sorry, Jack Nicholson, but a lot of times you just Ouch. become the same person. <laughs> um, and not every performance, but a lot of them, right? And Nicole Kidman has definitely done this in the past. She came to win in this role. I mean, her big moment, Cameron was just talking about it. Her big moment was the reveal when we see her, see her son, Amleth, when they meet around that fire in her quarters, which she has been um, betrothed now by Fjolnir. Once Fjolnir killed her husband, Amleth's father, and he, she says, I love you, son, um, but... Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, you, your your father was actually pretty terrible. I was there because of commitment, and I'm here because I survive. And I'll do anything to survive. I'll do anything to win. And just this darkness that overcomes her to the point where she's like, yeah, you're my son. Let's kill my new son and my new husband, and I'll marry you. I'm crazy. And that's not even where it ends. I mean, that moment was pretty dark and insane. And then she comes back for more in another scene very similar and doubles down. I've never seen Nicole Kidman that dark, and it was incredibly impressive to watch her explore what that kind of character would be like and what what that character would uh what their motive is through all of that i mean it it was absolutely incredible character work to see that be just full-blown in your face fearless nicole kidman she absolutely stole the scene for me stole the show yeah, I have to. I have to agree. I'm going to double down on on everything that you just said. It was it was Nicole Kidman for me, and 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 to be frank, like I've never been Nicole Kidman's biggest fan. I like I I, I enjoy a lot of what she's done, but there's other stuff where I'm like, yeah, I could have done without that. But where Nicole Kidman can continues to set herself apart in this industry and and with her skill set is the ferocity that she can tap into the un matched intensity and fire that she can breathe into a performance. It is like nothing you've ever seen before. And she always has one of these moments in every big, you know, critically acclaimed role that she's had where she just unleashes the dragon fire. And, and this was it. And, and you know, it's perfect casting because she's, you know, like a Viking queen, you know, somebody who is, about that life and is hardcore. You know, she, her first husband died. He was like, I want to die by the blade. And she's like, Oh yeah, you're going to die by the blade. And that's awesome. You know, she's like totally behind it. And in the end, when she gets stabbed through the chest by her own son, she says, thank you. Because she's like, I died in combat 
that's the dream, right? Like she is hardcore heavy metal and so believable all the way through it. And her role is so important because uh, premise of the movie, I will avenge you father. I will save you mother. I will kill you fuel near. Right. And so step one, avenge father and step three, kill fuel near same thing. Save mother is the, is the linchpin. And when he finally gets to the point where he can do it, she flips the whole story on its head by being like, actually like Kirk said, I never loved your dad. I love uh Fjolnir. And our son was born out of love. Unlike you. She, I mean, just drops, she drops a total existential crisis on this guy's head. And then she says all these crazy things about how like, you're such a, you know, I still love you. You're such a baller and I will marry you and we can kill my, my family, which I don't think she means. I think she's just trying to be, I don't really know. I don't necessarily think she means that. I think she's just trying to lure him in so she can go for the kill because shortly after that, she like tries to stab him with a sword. So, um, there's a lot going on there, but Nicole Kidman was absolutely the right choice. I mean, it's crazy that this far into her career, she's still taking like art house supporting roles whenever she's like a multi-time Academy Award nominee, uh, best actress type of caliber actor. And she's taking roles like this, but I'm glad she was in this movie because she absolutely slayed the role. And I have no doubt that she was the best person for the job. So hats off. Great show. <laughs> I, thought she, I thought she was so good. Well, I mean, one more thing about that, those two pivotal moments is that you're hearing what she's saying and you're seeing whatever it looks like she wants you to hear. Yeah. But you know, she's hiding so much more because she is completely untrustworthy who you thought that's why it's so good. Right. You can always trust mom when, when you're being attacked by a stranger, someone's following you, your kid run to a pack of moms and you're safe. Right. (laughs) If you ran into, think of if you ran to Nicole Kidman, uh, the mom, in the Northmen, you just walked into a bigger monster than you could have ever imagined. I mean, talk about the big bad wolf right yeah. there in Grandma's clothing. She is just a menace that is unmatched. That we have not seen such an evil, uh, an evil character like that in cinema history yet. And it was so cool to see unfold. Well, yeah, and so like also for for more added context, like the so the movie the character Amleth is based off of uh, an Icelandic folk tale about a, a person named Amleth, um, which sounds a lot like Hamlet. And that's because Hamlet Shakespearean Hamlet was based on this story. That's why the things we're talking about father gets killed by the uncle son goes back to find the uncle after being gone. Like that sounds very Hamlet and maybe you haven't seen Hamlet, but I know you've seen the lion King like the reason that scene is so impactful is like, imagine Simba comes back and it's, he's talking to Sarabi and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm in love with scar. Like that takes things to like a, a way more intense level. And she delivered that scene so beautifully with all of the like Shakespearean esque dialogue and, yes. and tension that's going on there. Like this whole movie had a very Shakespearean feel to it in a lot of ways, even though it's not a Shakespearean play, but it really did feel that way. So yeah, it was just totally epic is, is the best way to, to describe it. Yeah, man. And in Hamlet, you know, Queen Gertrude doesn't really get her time of day. Yes. Or, <laughs> and I, I think Robert Eggers was like, no man, she's got a lot more time to shine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, yeah, good call. So let's move into the production. Um, fascinating production. Robert Eggers, for those of you who haven't seen The Witch or The Lighthouse, holy smokes, like this guy is, uh, you know how people, everybody puts detail-oriented on their resume? Uh, this guy is like the definition of detail-oriented. So lots to dig into with this production, but Kirk, I'm interested to hear what your showstopper was. I'm going to go with the presentation of the Viking lore as a religion and a way of life because I am someone who absolutely just couldn't care less about the Vikings and their way of life. And I, I just, I have no interest in it. You know, anything of this era and of even of gladiator time, you know, like, and to be fair, I didn't even see the movie, the gladiator until I was over 30 years old. That's how much of things like this adjacent to this. I I don't want to watch. I have no interest in, I came to this movie a little reluctant thinking I would just get all of that again, grunting and just, I'm, I am a Viking. I, you know, uh, but again, I was, it was turned on its head and it was shown the way at which the, the true, the truth of these people, the way that they live, why they live, why their moral compass is the way it is. And so we saw the Viking lore as more of a religion in a way that I've never seen before on screen. Um, instead of just taking all of the stereotypes from that and having these big gory action scenes. Now, I, I kid you not, there was plenty of gore to go around in this film, but it wasn't on the scale that I thought it would be. I really thought we were going to see eyeballs hanging out in every single scene, legs and limbs and arms and getting caught, cut off at every, you know, five minute mark. But this really was about the heart of what was going on with this power struggle of this kingdom, this family, betrayal, love, trust, and that written into, uh, written into a way of life uh, comparative to like today's world in, in what you, what you, how you walk and how you spend your life and your time and, and relate to others. It was really, really a fascinating juxtaposition to experience. So the Viking lore, I've never seen it written quite so well or realized on screen so perfectly. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, like, you know, you go through and read anything about this movie that that immediately jumps off the page that like the the extent that they went to for accuracy in the lore and the storytelling is absurd. I mean, they had experts upon experts, people who've written about this culture, people who have family from this culture. They've they've gone through the archives. They've dug it all up. They went to Iceland to shoot the thing like this is extremely accurate in terms of all of those things like it, it's meant to represent this culture very accurately and then to do so in a way that is to your point like compelling right it's not just a bunch of useless violence and chaos and things like that like there's an actual story behind it like that is next level and, and something that i think has been missing from from films about this era yep. in the past so i think that's a great call out for me it is storytelling through combat. That's my showstopper. Storytelling through combat. What I mean by that is I feel like a lot of action movies, especially newer action movies, even good ones, they do this thing where, you know how in a horror movie, it's like you build up to these big horror set pieces. You know, it's like 
lay the groundwork, lay the groundwork, boom, big scare, big scary scene, bring the tension back down. Well, action movies, especially modern action movies, have operated very much in the same way, where it's like, lay the groundwork, lay the groundwork, boom, big action scene. And all of the storytelling takes place in the laying the groundwork buildup portion. The action scene is just an action scene for all intents and purposes. It's meant to be cool. It's meant to make you excited, etc. But these action scenes were not that. These action scenes, the, the storytelling continues through the scene. And they do this um, by doing these really well shot. I mean, beautifully crafted and shot and beautifully choreographed sequences that are all basically one shots. Think of if you've seen the Revenant, which is a film that we referenced um, on this week's episode earlier, these big like one shot combat sequences where you're kind of like following one person and there's all this stuff unfolding around them or even um, uh, 1917, right? I think Roger Deakins, was cinematographer for both of those potentially, but these big one shot action sequences where like a person is dodging in and out of stuff. And, but in this case, there's all of that going on, which is really compelling visually. And, you know, from an audio perspective, you get all the like spatial audio type of feel. But in this case, they were also telling the story, you know, they were unlocking like, look, what did he hear over there? What's going on with this? Who did he just see die? You know what? Like, all of these different things that are happening, usually without dialogue, um, and it just elevates this thing to a whole new level because suddenly you don't have just violence for the sake of violence like you would expect in a movie like this. You have violence for a very specific purpose with an, with an intent and with a goal in mind of here's why this is happening, here's what we're building to, and through the combat you'll see how we get to that point you'll see what our character sees and what he's learning at the same time as us and that is like next level stuff and 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 even without the storytelling in it the combat sequences themselves like i said incredibly shot incredibly choreographed even beyond the really cool stuff they show in the trailers like the the first combat scene that you really see um with alex skarsgård as a grown adult which is him having a spear thrown at him, him catching it backhanded, flipping it around, and then immediately throwing it through somebody's chest, which is epic. Like, you see that in the trailer, but there is, like, ten times more content that's just as awesome that happens in the actual movie. So, combat was next level in this movie, and the way they told the story through the combat was my favorite part. Incredible. All right, Kirk. Let's talk about what we didn't like. If you are Mr. Eggers, what notes, or you know, you're on set, what notes are you giving about this movie? Yes. Just like a Viking sword, there are two sides to it. Mm. So as I lauded and appreciated the Viking lore as a presentation and religion into the storytelling, I disliked the Viking lore mystical side of the storytelling. I've got three main points or sub points, if you will. Uh, We see this in three specific moments where I'm like, nah, a little too far or didn't quite win me over with that particular presentation. The first one is a pretty big one where we see Ethan Hawke and the younger version of Amleth is uh, taking some hallucinogenic porridge as they're drinking it, you know, trying to figure out, are you a man or are you a wolf? And, they take this and they go on this this ride uh, in through their minds and kind of connect uh, in in their 
um, on a different plane, if you will, to their heritage and to their legacy and to their their paths forward. And I get all of it, but I the execution of it was just a little bit uh, self-indulgent. Uh, I think like Robert Eggers is like, look at what I can do here on this screen, how I can show this to you. And I think that that just wasn't for me. This might be more subjective than anything uh, for, for how picky I am with this stuff. I just, I just didn't, uh, I didn't buy it. But of the three points that I have, that one was the least offensive. Then they get worse as they go along through the movie. The next one, we randomly come across uh, this secret area in which uh, that very same man in the mask, um, or maybe it's someone else, just this figure who is able to speak to uh, Amleth as uh, Alexander Skarsgård, as the adult version of him, and he has Willem Dafoe's skull. It's incredible. It's wonderfully crafted. And he's like talking through it with him and uh, basically uh, catapulting him to the next level of, yes, you should avenge your father and you should take down this entire corrupt kingdom that's fallen on a different level, but it doesn't matter. Like you should still take Fjolnir's life and and earn what's rightfully yours uh, and you will be rewarded uh, in Viking heaven, right? So all of that part was like, nah, like it was just a really a little bit drawn out uh, a little bit before or after the sequence. We also go and see him get the 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 sword that he's going to slay people with. And that part is super, super ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's almost like a dreamscape at first. Uh, it's a it's a very realistic battle, almost like a mummified fight. Uh, and then it, he snaps out of it and it's just like, oh, I'm just going to take this sword and he walks away. And then the third one is that he go he gets in this pretty uh, pretty big battle and he's kind of almost not left for dead entirely but this uh, character named Ashilder uh, saves him and rides off on a horse and takes him um, out of harm's way and brings him to the arms of, of Olga, of Anya Taylor-Joy and he wakes up in this warm bath and it's like, well, wait a second, how did, how did all these things happen? You know, like one could say, like, yes, this was him, uh, the, the spirit uh, coming into him and and encouraging him and, and getting out of there. Um, but it, it just didn't play that way. You know, he it like rides up into the sky and it's like, oh, like, is this are we near the end of the film here? Like, is this is this how this ends? He dies just like this. <laughs> Those moments, the mystical side of the Viking lore, I just wasn't bought into. And while I could appreciate them artistically, it just wasn't for me. Yeah, I feel that. Um, there is, yeah, there's always a balancing act with that, you know. It's like, and and and, and this kind of goes into my director's shoes too. So I'll I'll just jump right into it and not not dally around anymore. Um, but I think that where this movie struggles a little bit is balancing narrative with technical prowess and accuracy. So like, there is people. There are there are movies from from these two different schools of thought that are like very firmly in that camp that work. Like sometimes you see a movie that's all technical prowess and accuracy or, or really just even artistic prowess. That's, you know, doesn't have a great narrative, but has really like, it's a really solid piece of art and film and you can, you can appreciate it. Uh, And there are other films that have a really good story that you love start to finish, but it's not, a great piece of film. They let the other stuff fall off. So there's always this sort of balancing act. Um, and in this one, I felt like Robert Eggers leaned so heavily into 
this has to accurately reflect um, the folklore, the era, the everything that was going on at that time. That at sometimes he did so to the to the you know what is it dismay of the of the story. You know he 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 did it um, in in at the story's expense, and I felt like that was where this thing sort of struggled. So I think it mostly revolves around our main character, which like he has a compelling human story, right? Like imagine some, imagine you're a kid, everything's going great. Somebody kills your dad, kidnaps your mom, ruins your whole life. You have to run away and become a fugitive. That's a compelling human story, right? Like, but the problem was, I think that the character itself became so inhuman, you know, from, from, whenever he went to the wolf side of things and was like half man, half wolf living with all of the, what do they call them? The like, um, they were like not savages, but they called them like not barbarians, but something like that. Something in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it's like whenever he's in that point, you're like, this guy's just a Hulk, you know, he's just a rage monster. This isn't a human. And it takes, that character a really long time to get out of that point and back to where you can see him as a human again, because he like does that. And then he, you know, he gets his destiny, you know, the, the witch comes to him, you know, the, the like sightless witch comes and says like, you know, basically an Oracle is like, here's what you're going to go do. Follow the vixen, follow the Raven and go do your thing. But even as he's doing that and you're like, okay, he's on the path towards, accomplishing his goal he's still this like very inhuman brute you know and so it's really hard to like connect with him and that's really all you have to connect with during that time until Anya Taylor-Joy comes into the picture and even she is like a very blunt uh, like not very relatable type of character so the first half of the movie really I think hurts from a storytelling perspective because you're you're relying so much on those two. Now it all gets fixed. I think in the back half of the movie, for the most part, when you have the Nicole Kidman conversation that turns everything on its head, but even still all the way up to the end, like the Alexander Skarsgård character of Amleth is not the most relatable protagonist in the world. And I think that the story suffers from that because it's like when he finds out he's having twins, he's like, you have to go have our kids and I'm going to go like die in battle. I'm just going to like bounce out without a care in the world and like go die to finish avenging my father. Um, which makes sense for his character, but at the same time is like not the best story. So I feel like that balancing act was sometimes they made choices on the accuracy side and getting it right and getting everything, you know, as, as perfect and detailed as possible without thinking about how that impacts the story. So I'm not saying they should have compromised on the story. I just think there are things that they could have done while writing it to make these characters, and particularly the main character of Amleth, something that is more easily accessible to people without compromising who he is as a character, if that makes sense. I really do think that there was a balance there that could have been struck that they didn't. It does. It does. I relate to... Uh, Amleth and that yeah. I also have an eight pack set of yeah. abs, um, ridiculously chiseled chest. <laughs> you like to throw axes at people and, and rip their yeah. heads off and 
scream. There's lots of screaming. <laughs> when I was a lad, I, I ate four dozen eggs every morning. <laughs> to help you get large. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> no, but like that was the other thing too is like, and, and the main reason I didn't choose Alex Skarsgård as my um, my best actor, even though he was great, he, he definitely played his character perfectly. The problem for me was that his character was just rage. <laughs> you know, he was Not just rage. rage, like full rage all the time with a few moments of humanity, but like very fleeting, very small, um, hard to see. And so it was all consistent, but it just wasn't like, the most compelling to me, I guess, personally, but I got you. I've never, um, I, I think maybe my anticipation of it only being that and only seeing just like dozens of shirtless men, just like running and killing people. Yeah. I think that is why for me, I was like, Oh, you're like, this actually has more heart than I was anticipating. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. Feel you. Um, yeah, I feel like that, that is, it was sort of on a knife's edge there could have gone either way. Um, but you know, we'll see if it reflects in my score on, a, find out. on a sword's edge. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Though there were knives as well, right? Daggers. There were axes, there were. pretty much anything sharp spears, arrows, uh, anything you can stab through someone was featured in this film for sure. Yes. Yes. Many ways to kill people in this movie. All right, let's move into final thoughts and scores. Kirk, you're up. I must say that in a million years, I never anticipated this being on a movie list in which I would say, yeah, let me watch that again. Um, I would say I don't remember my score for The Lighthouse, but I enjoyed this type of storytelling more than that one. So I don't even know if my scores are going to be conflicting or not representative of that this movie is more appreciated in my book than the, the lighthouse by Robert Eggers. But regardless, I must give this film an 8.1 out of 10 kernels. Strong work, strong work. All right. My score, I've been agonizing over this. I have to say, um, really liked this movie really liked a lot of what was going on. I, I really do think the one critique that I called out is probably my only significant critique of the movie because I think one thing that it, 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 the last segment shouldn't even be called director shoes because I can't even possibly point to anything that Robert Eggers did wrong because he directed the heck out of this movie. In fact, that was the one thing I said to Kirk as we were walking out of the theater. I said he directed the heck out of that movie. I mean, just like this, the, the, the intentionality, the, the clarity of vision was so high. And that's always stuff that I look for is like, did they get the movie that they were trying to make? And without a doubt, I mean, 100 out of 100%, he absolutely got the movie he was trying to make. It was gorgeous. It, it looked incredible. It The sound was great. Um, action sequences were insane. The acting was so good. Um I thought it was really, really well done. It just, you know, what it comes down to then is what I talked about earlier, which is like, is it a narrative that sticks with you? Is it something that has rewatchability? Is it something that is iconic? That is, um, you know, it stands alone. It's not derivative. It, It really is its own piece of art. And I think that some of those boxes are checked and some of them aren't. So for me, Oh, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still waffling, but I think I'm going, 
I think I'm going 8.4 out of 10 on this Lovely. one. Um, really enjoyed it. I, I, I mean, definitely had me engaged pretty much definitely the whole second half, most of the first half with the exception of a couple times where I didn't really feel connected to the characters, but um, strong work overall. I, I liked the, if we're comparing to his other films, I liked the lighthouse better than this one, just in terms of, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Um, the Northman wasn't the most unique of the films that he's created, but that's okay. It's, it's still very much a Robert Eggers movie very much its own thing. And I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought it was great. So 8.4 for me, 8.1 for Kirk. Very nice. Very nice. And that's our review of the Northmen. We will be, uh, switching gears and actually this Thursday. Um, so the day that this episode releases, um, Kirk and I will be in theaters watching Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So another MCU movie, um, first one since no way home. So we'll be getting into that and very excited. We'll be breaking it all down. So typically our MCU review episodes will include a review and a lot of speculation about what is to come. So we won't just review the movie. We'll also get into all the details of what it means for the MCU going forward. So be sure to tune in for all of that. We will be absolutely stoked to bring that content and our opinions to you. Um, So if you go out and see it this weekend, Hit us up. Let us know your thoughts. Just rapid reaction. Um, Anything you want to bounce off us, you can do it in Discord. Link is in the description. You can do it on all of our social medias. And uh, yeah, we'll be eagerly anticipating that that film and and getting our paws on that one. Until that time, we're going to leave you. Thank you so much for listening. Want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, as well as the band Rhetoric, who created our original music, which you are about to hear right now we will see you for our next episode next week talk to you then bye